right, once you grab your Bibles, grab your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 12, John chapter 12. It truly is my honor, and um, the Lord knows. There's no one else I would get up at 6.30. Well, actually, I got up at 4.30 my time to preach for. There is no one. I am a crack of noon person. Like my mother said, I came home from the hospital. I slept eight hours, and I've slowly been increasing that since I was born. So I do not like to get up early, but I would do anything for Dustin and Jamie. So here I am. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 24. This, this is the Passion Translation. This is, um, this is the week of Jesus' crucifixion. This is a holy week. This Passover has just started. He's just gotten on the donkey. He's come in um, to Jerusalem. All these different people are hearing about all these amazing signs and wonders, raising Lazarus from the dead. And people are kind of talking about what Jesus has done. So many people, not just Jews, but Others that have come to worship that are either just intrigued or, um, you know, drawn to Judaism or drawn to Jesus are now in the city asking for audiences. And these are some of the final words that we have of Jesus before his crucifixion. Some of the final words that we have from Jesus here on this earth. So I think that they're really important. I'm glad that we now live under the new covenant. So we understand what Jesus is saying. His disciples are hearing this and they're still living with not the full picture, right? Because Jesus hasn't died yet. He hasn't resurrected yet, but he will later this week. So Jesus is making these statements, but we get to glean the full understanding and truth from them today. So I pray that they're going to be an encouragement to your heart. John 12, beginning in verse 24, this is Jesus speaking. Let me make this clear. A single grain of wheat will never be more than a single grain of wheat unless it drops into the ground and dies. Because then it sprouts and produces a great harvest of wheat, all because one grain died. The person who loves his life and pampers himself will miss true life. But the one who detaches his life from this world and abandons himself to me will find true life and enjoy it forever. If you want to be my disciple, follow me. You will go where I'm going. And if you truly follow me as my disciple, the Father will shower his favor upon your life. Even though I am torn within and my soul is in turmoil. Even though I am torn within and my soul is in turmoil. I think it's important to pause in this scripture because Jesus is perfect theology. Therefore, every emotion or feeling that Jesus has is a perfect feeling or emotion. Just imagine that for a moment. Sometimes we misinterpret what faith is. We think faith is putting on like the, the perfect face, we think faith is just stuffing down every emotion that we are experiencing or having or denying those emotions, pretending that they don't exist. We think faith is just having the perfect life and having the perfect confession and doing all the right things and saying all the right things and looking the right way. But here is Jesus. This is what he was sent to earth to do. This was his destiny. He was created. All of creation, the earth is groaning. This is the moment that it comes to the culmination, the reason Jesus began time and eternity has has literally come to this moment here is our Lord and Savior sent to earth for this very purpose and he is honest and he is human enough to say I am torn within and my soul is in turmoil it is not a sin to have an emotion it is not a sin to be ripped apart by some 
emotions or feelings. We just don't have to live there. We have the grace and the strength to be able to acknowledge what we feel, right? To be a little bit torn within our mind, our will, our emotions, but then to what? Turn to the Father. He says, I'm not going to ask the Father to rescue me from this hour of trial, for I have come to fulfill my purpose, to offer myself to God. Father, we thank you so much. Lord, we ask that your word will go down deep in our hearts and bear good fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, come on, say amen. Amen and amen. Uh, my son just turned 21 on Friday night. Woo, yes, I don't understand why I had to plan, set up, decorate, and pay for the party, but not attend. Um, that's like the new phenomena in my life right now. But he just turned uh, 21, and one of the great milestones of this year for him was that he preached his first sermon at church. He preached it on Wednesday night for the youth. It was so good. Benny said, carry it over and do the whole weekend, and it was great because on Monday morning I went into his room. It was 11 o'clock, and I woke him up. And he's like, Mom, don't ask me to do that again for a very long time. I was like, tell me how much you love your mom and dad now, right? And uh, he reached his first sermon. And, you know, your parents or people always tell you that you will inevitably have that day where certain, you know, undesirable attributes that you have in your own life, one day you will have the revelation that you have unfortunately passed them along to your offspring, right? So we have these revelations, we have these moments, whether it's our spouse being like, that's you, that's you. That's you. Oh, they got that from you. You know, the hard truth, you know, whether it's Grammy and Papa laughing while you're trying to, you know, correct your child and they're just laughing because we don't believe in karma. But if there is it, this is happening right now. You know, I mean, just those moments. Right. Well, I had one of those moments only. Unfortunately, it was like on a global scale. So my son gets up to preach his message and he said that uh, his certain attribute was that he was a procrastinating perfectionist. And I sat on the front row and after years of counseling and therapy and deep inner healing, I had never heard it phrased just like that. And suddenly so many wrong things in my life became so clear <laughs> because I realized that I myself was a procrastinating perfectionist. Now people think that perfectionists always do everything perfect, but that's not true because perfectionists won't do anything unless they have the motivation, the time, the energy, the, 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 the wherewithal to be able to accomplish it and accomplish it perfectly. Then you add in the procrastination element. Basically, we get nothing done. And then in this moment of great revelation, and his message was good too, but in this moment of great revelation, I'm sitting there and I realize, but I have one more. I'm a control freak. Where's my people at? Come on, come on, come on. The truth will set you free. Yes, raise those hands. Your spouse is just going to lift it for you, so you might as well just admit it now. I'm a control freak. I'm married to a control freak. We're, we are controlling about different things, thank God. But... Uh, it's, it's a little bit hard being a control freak, and I, I pray for my staff. I really do. I pray for my staff because being a procrastinating perfectionist control freak is a very difficult leader to serve under. <laughs> because inevitably, 
in, you know, 20 hours before said event, whether it's, you know, a women's conference or something, it is at this precise moment that I will get my aha, genius, has to be done, must be executed for the sake, for the, for the success of the conference, this project must be executed. Meanwhile, my staff still have to have meaning personal relationships. They have to bathe themselves, maybe bathe children, feed children, feed themselves, maybe feed extended family members, sleep at some point, and execute my amazing dream for this event. It's a challenge. Control is a funny thing. Control is such an illusion, right? It gives us something to do because usually that's the problem, that's the issue, is we feel out of control, so we start trying to control things as best we can, but it really is just an illusion. We're not actually controlling anything. In fact, we can't control other people. Wives, you can't control your husband. Oh, that. <laughs> Pastor Dustin, Jamie's not even here. You could have said a bigger amen, I'm just saying. Sure, she's on a plane. I think I heard an amen from heaven. That was my husband flying over Dallas, landing right now. No. We can't. We can't control other people. We can't control our kids. We could try, but we can't control our kids, right? And control comes in different ways. Control can come with a smile. It can come passive-aggressive. It can come manipulative. It can come angry. It can come with road rage. Con control can come all kinds of different ways, right? But it's all the same thing. It's futile. It, but at least it gives us maybe something to do when it feels like everything is out of control. Why do we control? Sometimes we control because we think the opposite of control is being out of control. And it seems like, well, if I'm out of control, you know, what's, what's going to happen? I can't just leave it to chance. Whatever will be, will be. Que sera, wait, is that the right? Que sera, sera, c'est la vie, la vie. I don't know. I get those all confused. Whatever, fill in the blank. We think it's just like, you know, like this hippie lifestyle, peace and love, you know, just doesn't even matter. We're just going to roll with the punches like this, like super uber creative personality, right? But the opposite of being in control is not out of control. The opposite of control is trust. That's what it is. It's trust. Can we trust? I grew up in church. My parents um, were pastors. And one thing I like about uh, following Jesus and the expression of the church in the world is that there's so many different expressions of the church, right? You have like liturgical to traditional to, you know, just like nice and safe. And then you have us. And uh, I love us, right? Come on, can I get an amen? And so praise God for us. I'm pretty sure we saved the world during COVID. Anyway, <laughs> hallelujah. So I love it. I love it. There's so many different expressions. And I grew up in a particular kind of church that had a particular kind of expression. And I'm not saying that this is what they taught because I'm very, very grateful for my heritage and where I grew up. So I'm not putting them down. But this was like the, what I came away with. This is what I thought was being taught. And I was just very young at the time. But I grew up just thinking about my relationship with Jesus. As long as I did all the right things, I'll have a perfect life. Just do the right thing, say the right thing, act 
act the right way, be the right person. It was a very transactional way of thinking when it came to my relationship with Jesus. It was like, don't wear jeans and don't go to movie theaters and dear God, you can't listen to the radio. No Whitney Houston, definitely not Bobby Brown, the bad boy. Benny and I were watching like one of those AMC things and I was like, oh, I love Whitney Houston. Oh, when she married Bobby Brown. He's like, how do you know about that? He knows the way I grew up, right? I was like, I had a radio. I snuck in and made a mixtape. You guys don't even know what that is with all your Apple music, just making just lists and I was gonna say podcasts, that's not what it is and I can't think of the name now. So mixtapes in the trying to record it off the radio to sneak it, Michael Jackson, all of that, right? I didn't even go to, this is a, I didn't even go to a movie until I was 11 or 12 and I went and saw Bambi and that, it was so scarring. <laughs> that is like the worst child's movie on the face. They killed the mom, guys. They killed the mom. Anyway. So that's like the church I grew up in. Praise God, I don't, you know, live under those same traditions anymore. But I just had, I grew up with just this mindset, very transactional. And, um, and I just thought, I'll just do the right things, check all the boxes, serve Jesus, tithe, you know, have a small group, you know, just all the things we think we need to check off. And then I'm just going to have this perfect life. But the problem is, is that you and I were never created to live in a transactional relationship with God. Unfortunately, I believe that there are millions of Christians and they're, they're gonna spend eternity with us and they're gonna get to the other side of eternity and realize that the relationship that they experienced here on earth was nothing of what it could have been if they would have just entered into a trust relationship with him and realized that the transaction had already been paid 2,000 years ago on that cross. Jesus already paid the price. There's nothing you and I can do to earn it or deserve it. It is a free gift that we receive, amen? Amen. The true litmus test for you and I about whether we live life with a transactional relationship with Jesus or a trust relationship with Jesus is pain. Pain gets a really bad rap. You know the, the old uh, saying, no pain, no gain? My saying is no pain, no pain. <laughs> I am a, incredibly adept at avoiding pain. I mean, I am like... I have developed so many mechanisms in my life to avoiding pain. Like, if anything is painful, I just, like, run the other. That's why I, I never exercised till I was 44 years old, you know? I just, I was like, no, thank you. Whenever you got to the point where you got sore, I'm out. Done. Like, I just, I don't like pain. I don't like, I don't like emotional pain, physical pain, spiritual, none of it. I don't want it. I signed up for the transactional relationship, right? I'm going to do, do all my right things, check all my boxes, and I just want a nice little life. But unfortunately, there are a few constants in life. Change, and one of them definitely is pain. Pain gets a bad rap because not all pain is negative. Not all pain is bad. But in a transactional mindset, we immediately equate pain with I did something wrong. It becomes incredibly self-focused. And the problem with that self-focus is if I think I'm in pain because I did something wrong, the end result of that is just shame and condemnation. Shame and condemnation was nailed to the cross with Jesus so that you and I don't have to live under that shame and condemnation. We were never created to be able to carry the shame and condemnation that comes with thinking that our works or 
our life or we have to somehow perform and able to earn the grace of God that has already been given to us. But in a transactional relationship, that's the way we view pain and that's why we run from it. But when we run from pain, we actually stunt our growth. There's some growth that only can take place if we persevere through the pain. Think about the different pains in life that are not fun, but they are good. Childbirth. Marriage. Oh, I know, we think the two becoming one is just sex and honeymoon and yay. No. Right? How about the pain of getting healing, deep inner emotional healing from something that happened in our past, maybe something that should have never happened to a young child and instead of stuffing it down and pretending like it didn't happen, having the boldness and the courage to go into the darkness with the light of the word of God and to bring what was hidden into the light so you can receive healing, that's, that's painful. But it's on the other side of that pain that makes it worth it. This is what Jesus says in verse 27. In verse 27 it says, even though I'm torn within, I'm in pain. My soul's in pain. I understand that soon my body will be in pain. I will not ask the Father to rescue me from this hour of trial. Why? For I have come to fulfill my purpose because purpose puts pain in perspective. Always. I remember, I'm so thankful. I tell you what, my uh, BJ, who's 21, just on Friday, we were talking about, I was like, I can't believe 21 years ago we were going to the hospital and you were being born. And I know now we live, you know, in this Instagram world and, you know, everything is just made to look so fabulous and wonderful and glamorous. And I don't know whoever thinks pregnancy and childbirth is glamorous or beautiful. I don't know what birth they've ever gone to because let me tell you, it is not cute. It is not fun. There's nothing fabulous about it. I'm sorry if you're the weird one that it was. It wasn't for me and most of us it isn't, okay? You can save your judgment for someone else. Anyway. I remember I've just pushed a human out of my body and um, the drugs have now worn off. The epidural is gone. The chipper nurse walks in the room and says, all right, we need to get up out of bed. We need to do some walking and use the bathroom. I'm like, you walk, you use the bathroom, find someone to carry me right now. I was so mad, so I get up out of the bed and I'm walking and every part hurts and aches and sore and I'm angry and I'm so mad and I'm crying and my husband, rightly so, he left a long time ago. I remember <laughs> BJ came out and the doctor was like, do you wanna cut the cord? He said, Did, do I get a discount? And the doctor laughs and goes, no. He's like, then I don't wanna touch that thing. He's very supportive. And, uh, and so there's my mom and I'm walking to the bathroom and I'm crying and I'm angry and I'm yelling at her and I'm like, you lied to me, you lied, you never told me how horrible this was. This is the worst thing in the whole world. 
and my mother, the person I expected to be compassionate, nurturing. This is the woman that gave birth to me with no drugs in the 70s. If anyone should understand my pain, it is this woman. This same woman kneels on the ground laughing in my face. I said, I'm never doing this again. Well, I have three kids, so. Purpose puts pain in perspective. Purpose puts pain in perspective. So how do we know when we are in pain if we have a transactional or trust relationship? Let me tell you how I knew that I had a transactional relationship. It was about 12 years ago, and it was probably one of the single most horrific times in Benny and I's life. We had our three children. I had had two miscarriages. The last one I was hemorrhaging. I actually was, as we were driving in the car, I was floating on top of the car, watching my body drive. Um, ended up in the hospital for three days, multiple blood transfusions. Soon after, just a few months later, my dad graduated onto heaven. Six weeks later, Benny's father had a nine-way bypass surgery. He is still alive and doing well right now. We're so thankful for that. We had endured court cases and bankruptcy and news media attention that was not positive and it was just one of the most difficult times in our lives. And I found myself during this time as the band comes back, laying on my pillow at night, crying. You know when you lay on your pillow at night and you cry and the tears go down and then they go in your ears? If you turn and then they get in really in there, and then you're like, oh, dang it. And then your pillow gets wet, and you gotta turn it over. It's a whole thing, right? And maybe you've said these words, but this is how I knew I had a transactional relationship with Jesus. I said, look at all the things I've done for you. I don't deserve this. I served you my whole life. I never rebelled. I married a pastor, started a church, put our whole life savings, and I, the list went on. And I rehearsed all the reasons why I didn't deserve it. That's not even my theology. I don't even believe that, but I had somehow still kept a transactional mindset in my relationship with Jesus. The reality is, we don't deserve any of it. We don't deserve the righteousness. We don't deserve the love. We don't deserve the grace. We don't deserve the mercy. We don't deserve any of it. Jesus. Because of the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. There will come a moment. We can live quite a long time in a transactional relationship. But there will come a moment where the pain will be so insurmountable. We only have two choices. Either we're going to trust or we're going to walk away from Jesus. There will be no other choice because we realize we can't be good enough to just get this pain away. 
And what does it really mean to have a trusting relationship with Jesus? It just simply means this. God, I believe you are who you say you are. I might see a specific circumstance in front of me. I might still have pain in my body, but you're still a healer. This relationship might still be estranged, but I know you're a restorer. I still might be struggling with some mindsets or some mental illnesses, but God, I do believe that you took every single one of those mental illnesses, every single one of those attacks on the cross with you, and I thank you that I am going to begin to overcome. No matter what circumstance I am facing in a trust relationship with God, I say, God, I just have to believe you are who you say you are. Otherwise, I'm done. It was during this time 12 years ago that um, I broke a couple of my cardinal rules. Having grown up in church, Benny and I had made a pact to never talk negatively about the church or people in the church in front of our kids because they had the rest of their lives to realize that people are human and act like humans and they just had this short opportunity and time to just love unconditionally and embrace the church. So we never wanted to talk about negative things in front of the church, uh, in front of the kids. And then the second rule we had was you can't be down on the same day because that's a bad day. That's a real bad day. Here we are driving in our minivan. Don't hate. Kids are in the back. I'm going to break my rules. And I said, Benny, I, I think I'm done. I don't, I don't think I can do it anymore. I, the, the pain is, is just too much. See, often as a pastor, the simple purpose of your life and your family's life being changed and brought to Jesus, that's enough. Understanding that generations will be changed because of our sacrifice and our willingness to lay down our life and do what God has asked and called us to do. That's enough purpose. Knowing that your children are going to grow up loving Jesus their whole lives and, you know, get involved. And some of them be called into full-time vocational ministry, but all called, you know, to bring Jesus to people. That's enough purpose. But sometimes... When the pain is too great, it's not enough anymore. It's quiet in the van, and Benny says, I think I'm done too. Church is better now, and we got through it, and we can hand it off and do something else. I don't know. And it's quiet again in the van. And then a little voice from the back seat. She's 16 now. She just graduated high school two weeks ago. A little four-year-old in the back says, Would you do it for me, Daddy? Purpose puts pain in perspective. Nothing about my circumstances changed only my perspective because there is nothing 
there is nothing that I would not do so that my kids love Jesus and love his church. There's nothing. There's no mountain I wouldn't climb. There's no sea I wouldn't swim. There is nothing I wouldn't walk through for those kids to know Jesus, to know, come on, his grace and his strength, to love the church, to have their hearts open. There's nothing, there's nothing I wouldn't do. I was still going to have to go back to church. We were still going to have to pastor people and staff through it. We were still going to have to process the pain. We were still going to have to go through the grief. We were still going to have to do all the things that needed to be done to get through that time. But I'm telling you, the purpose put the pain in perspective. And I can tell you this. Listen, most of us have been to hell and back over this last year and a half to two years. But I'll tell you what, I faced these last two years a whole lot different than I faced 12 years ago and I found myself having less down days less bad attitudes less days I wanted to give up come on less days I was feeling discouraged why because I'm telling you there is growth in the pain there is growth come on there is a purpose in everything that he is walking us through I still don't know why I, I get it. I'm not answering the why question. I'm not saying, oh, yay, let's just be happy. Maybe if a loved one went to be with Jesus, let's just be happy about it. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, but in all these things, can we allow the Redeemer to redeem even what the enemy has meant for evil in our life and turn it around for good and everything that has come against us to use it, come on, as a tool for the purpose 